Cardiovascular Podcasts. My name is Melina Vigalicenic. This is an Ask Away Podcast. Our guest speaker today is Dr. Jonathan Beard, consultant vascular surgeon and professor of surgical education from the University of Sheffield, UK. This podcast overviews the medical legal landscape within vascular surgery and discusses problems relating to common vascular conditions and procedures with tips on how to avoid trouble. Throughout this podcast, I will draw on my experience of more than 25 years in practice as a consultant vascular surgeon and a vascular expert witness. Thank you, Dr. Beard. This is definitely a topic that concerns us all. Vascular surgery has become recognised as a separate specialty in many countries, including the UK, Europe and North America. This has medical legal implications for general surgeons who do not perform vascular procedures regularly because volume-outcome relationships exist for most vascular procedures. Single-handed practitioners should also be aware because those working outside specialist groups have higher malpractice claims rates. Newly appointed consultants should also take care because a disproportionate number of claims are initiated against vascular surgeons in their first three years of practice. The implication of all these factors is that patient outcomes can be improved and medical negligence claims minimised by vascular surgeons working in large volume centres in teams that engage in peer review and proctoring of new members of staff. Are all malpractice claims related to surgical procedures? Vascular surgery is unusual in that most vascular surgeons also practice as vascular physicians and can spend much of their time not operating on patients. This is because there is no parallel cohort of vascular physicians except for a few specialist angiologists. This has advantages for patients in terms of the holistic management of patients but opens another area for complaints and litigation and so it is vital that vascular surgeons pay as much attention to medical therapy as intervention. A significant proportion of a vascular surgeon's time is spent dealing with emergency situations which risk life or limb. Many of these patients are referred from other specialist or general practitioners who may have either mismanaged the situation or delayed referral, but the poor old vascular surgeon often takes the blame for the shortcomings of these other clinicians. This highlights the difference between breach of duty, i.e. an unacceptable standard of care, and causation, i.e. did that failure of care result in harm. Breach of duty and causation must both exist for negligence to be proven. What about other situations different from the emergency setting? Another important part of vascular practice is the treatment of varicose veins. This practice has a cosmetic element and cosmetic procedures are known to have a much higher risk of litigation. Aortic aneurysm repair and lower limb bypass grafting are often performed in patients who are elderly with multiple comorbidities and whose diseased arteries present difficult technical challenges. The incidence of adverse events is therefore higher than many other surgical specialties, but only 18% of the adverse events in vascular surgery are due to negligence, and this is a lower proportion than most other specialties. Can you comment on malpractice claims regarding endovascular procedures? 
the margins and scope of vascular surgery have become increasingly widened and blurred by the rapid dissemination of endovascular techniques. These may require a team approach with interventional radiologists or the acquisition of new skills. This can precipitate turf wars between different specialties and provides a fertile ground for accusations of poor practice leading to investigations of performance and medical negligence claims. New technologies, including robotics, are being introduced into vascular surgery at an ever-increasing rate. This risks errors occurring due to inadequate training or maintenance. Many hospitals pay inadequate attention to the need for ongoing training of senior surgeons in comparison to other high-risk industries where regular training is taken seriously. Off-label use of medical devices is a common practice amongst some vascular specialists. This includes use outside the listed indications for use or not in the manner for which it was approved. Both increase the risk of patient harm and litigation. Now, let's address different areas of vascular surgery treatment specifically. We will begin with intermittent claudication. Treatment of intermittent claudication is a major part of the work of vascular specialists. Although it restricts walking ability, which is inconvenient and may affect ability to work, it is not medically dangerous. Intervention, whether by angioplasty, stenting or bypass, grafting to relieve symptoms, carries a risk of significant complications including failure or infection of grafts and limb loss. If these possibilities are not dealt with thoroughly and documented during the decision-making process, there may be great difficulty in defending a legal action if they occur. Medical control of risk factors is fundamental for patients with peripheral arterial disease and vascular surgeons must advise patients about medical measures to prevent adverse vascular events including myocardial infarction and stroke. These measures include antiplatelet therapy, statins, smoking cessation and exercise programs, all of which must be undertaken before intervention is considered. Right. What about elective aneurysm repair? The aim of repairing asymptomatic abdominal aortic aneurysms is to prevent rupture from causing death. The procedures are usually done on people who feel quite well and repair has potentially serious risks including renal, bowel and leg ischemia. Many patients will now choose EVAR over open surgery because of the lower risk of serious complications and death and some have successfully sued because they were not offered this choice. A discussion which involves the patient in the decision-making process, accompanied by written information and good documentation, is essential to defend subsequent claims for negligence if adverse outcomes occur. Unnecessary delay in treatment should be avoided, even in asymptomatic patients, and certainly in those who have symptoms. Patients have successfully sued because their AAA ruptured whilst waiting for elective repair. And what can you tell us about critical limb ischemia and diabetic foot ulcers? Patients with critical limb ischemia and diabetic foot ulcers require urgent investigation and treatment to prevent excessive tissue or limb loss. Diabetes is reaching epidemic proportions and litigation relating to delay in referral and or treatment of infected diabetic foot ulcers is escalating rapidly. Charities like Diabetes UK have introduced concepts such as foot attack 
aimed at educating both patients and clinicians of the need for urgent intervention. Unfortunately, some patients who continue to smoke and or control their diabetes poorly prefer to blame their surgeon rather than themselves when complications arise. Many of these individuals are frightened elderly patients who may not want to know about the risks of treatment, but it should always be assumed that they want to be informed until they state otherwise. If patients have asked specifically not to be told about the risks of treatment, then the situation must be clearly recorded in their case notes and ideally a discussion held with the relatives about the pros and cons of treatment, especially if there is a significant risk of limb loss or death. Let's move on to carotid artery disease. Patients with symptomatic carotid disease only benefit from a reduction in stroke if intervention is performed as soon as possible after the index neurological event and if the procedure has a low complication rate. Therefore, surgeons and interventionalists must be able to inform patients of their own complication rates, preferably based on data submitted to a national registry. In the UK, the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, or NICE, recommends treatment within two weeks and patients have successfully sued after developing a stroke because of a delay in treatment. The risk of stroke associated with carotid endarterectomy is lower than with carotid stenting, but the risk of nerve injury is higher. The pros and cons of these two treatments need to be discussed in detail and documented because a nerve injury that affects the voice may be devastating for some patients, such as singers. Quite so. Ruptured aneurysms are a special situation. The commonest reason for litigation in ruptured AAA is misdiagnosis, usually by clinicians other than vascular surgeons. The classic error is diagnosing renal colic without the benefit of an ultrasound or CT scan. Patients with ruptured aortic aneurysm are often in great pain and hypotensive and without an operation they will die imminently. Any kind of detailed counselling may be out of the question and it may not be possible to obtain written consent. This is acceptable as long as the situation is witnessed and documented in the records. Involvement of relatives is important and will need to include a discussion about palliative care if that is the best option. Acute limb ischemia and trauma are also urgent situations. The commonest claim relating to acute leg ischemia is misdiagnosis, including sciatica, muscular injury and DVT. The golden rules, which I insist on for all medical students, are always document pulses in a leg that is painful, paralysed or injured, always ensure that the pulse you feel belongs to the patient and not yourself, always speak to a vascular surgeon if there is any doubt. Limb trauma is another minefield due to failure to document or monitor pulses, especially after knee dislocation. In the author's experience, all patients with a dislocated knee should have a duplex ultrasound scan to exclude an intimal tear of the popliteal artery, even if foot pulses are palpable after reduction. Finally, varicose vein treatment. Patients with varicose veins are often managed by non-specialists and by unsupervised trainees. This approach is gradually changing, but it has contributed to the high rate of medical legal actions for the treatment of varicose veins in the past. NICE now recommends duplex ultrasound scanning before any varicose vein procedure to reduce the risk of incorrect treatment. Many patients with VVs request treatment for cosmetic reasons only. 
even minor complications may therefore cause dissatisfaction and lead to legal action, usually relating to persistent veins, scarring or skin discoloration. Thorough explanation and counselling about the likely benefits and potential risks is essential and this should include written information. Endovenous thermal ablation and foam sclerotherapy have been adopted enthusiastically by many vascular surgeons and is preferred by many patients but recurrence is common after all treatments and patients should be warned that further treatment may be required in the future. So, in all settings, written information and detailed medical records are key to avoiding potential litigation, aren't they? Written information, including a thorough description of the benefits and risks, should be given to all patients when considering any vascular intervention. This must be recorded in the notes and copies of the information archived for future legal use. Some hospitals have information leaflets that include a peel-away sticker with the serial number for sticking onto the patient consent form. The Circulation Foundation of the Vascular Society of Great Britain and Ireland has a useful range of information sheets that can be obtained on their website, as does the Society for Vascular Surgery of North America. Letters about management decisions should be copied to patients as they help with the consent process and provide a record that the patient was properly informed. Summaries of multidisciplinary team discussions should also be documented and preferably communicated to the patient for the same reason. Comprehensive and well-organised medical and nursing notes are indispensable as evidence and many medical legal cases have been lost because of poor documentation. What is the medical legal role of clinical guidelines? Clinical management guidelines and protocols are becoming much more commonplace but they are not legally binding. There may be good reasons to depart from them for a particular patient, but the reason must be clearly recorded. What periprocedural precautions should we not forget? Pre-procedure marking is a vital component of many vascular procedures to avoid the wrong procedure or wrong side being performed. The side and procedure to be performed should be marked at the time that consent is obtained or checked prior to the procedure after verification with the patient and rechecked by the surgeon or interventionalist before the procedure begins as part of the World Health Organization time out. It is vital that the surgeon or interventionalist document detailed post-procedure instructions including what observations and investigations are required, how frequently, by whom and what action to take if there is any concern. Inadequate post-procedure instructions are a common source of litigation when complications such as occlusion of a graft or stent occur and are missed or not acted upon. Omission of prophylactic antibiotics or thromboprophylaxis are matters which feature regularly in medical legal proceedings. There is little defence for having failed to administer prophylactic antibiotics if a graft or stent becomes infected. An increasing cause of claims relates to the failure to prescribe antibiotics following toe amputation in diabetics leading to recurrent osteomyelitis. The best defence here is discussion with the microbiologist and good communication with the general practitioner when the patient is discharged. I will certainly keep them in mind. We are reaching the end of this podcast. You have given us lots of useful information. Any final thoughts? In summary... 
Vascular surgery is associated with a high incidence of adverse events in patients who often have significant comorbidities and therefore has great potential for medical legal action. Varicose vein treatments are also prone to litigation because of their cosmetic nature. The keys to risk management and improved patient outcomes are team working, an adequate workload, regular peer review, thorough counselling of patients and their relatives, and meticulous record keeping and attention to detail. Adhering to these good practice guidelines should keep you out of trouble. Thank you very much, Dr. Beard. It was a pleasure having you with us today.